All right, kiddies, it's that time again. Straight out of Shumway. Your boy Rocco, king size muscle, king size muscle too. With your local 999. I'm joking. <laughs> With your local 666-269 podcast. Friday the 13th. Ooh, are you superstitious? Should you be superstitious? Or should you be anti-superstitious? Kind of funny. If you're a, a person of science, you may still have some odd beliefs that might be continued throughout your lifetime that some people might consider to be suspicious. It could be even some kind of small behavior or a ritual that maybe you grew up with and it's sort of been indoctrinated into your persona without even worrying about it or thinking about it. It's almost automatic sometimes. Um, for those of you that are <laughs> extremely religious, we might even put you in the category of also being somewhat extremely suspicious if we put it to a series of, of tests, especially if you think about some of the rituals that are involved in various religious practices. Very superstitious, the writings on the wall. Uh, you know, like everything else, I go back and forth. Uh, sometimes I perhaps confuse superstition with my own intuition. Very similar, I would think, um, in the way that maybe it's constructed in my mind, that feeling of of, of sort of spider sense tingling, right? Very superstitious. Ah, is the writing on the wall? Then that would be intuitive, wouldn't it? Is that where the bridge is when it comes to practicing something like the craft? Is that we can bridge those gaps between intuition and superstition? Is there a liminal space somewhere between the two concepts within our culture, society, and mind. Can we conflate them? Superstition and intuition. Well, linguistically, obviously, they have similar functions uh, as nouns, of course, if you look at the etymology of, of the word. But if we dig a bit deeper, then we find sort of where the, the concept of being intuition and suspicion begin to sort of separate themselves. Obviously, intuition is going to be anything that's going to be intuitive within, where suspicion is sort of similar to being suspect, or sus, as the kiddies like to say today, sus. Oh, that's pretty sus. <laughs> and so... If it's superstition and it's sus, right? It's suspect. It's not quite right. Maybe your superstition is um, when something happens that you can't sort of intuitively internalize easily, then maybe we turn to suspicion as a way of codifying <laughs> the experience to ourselves. 
if I think about things that I that I personally maybe have considered to be superstitious about, um, do I walk under ladders? Uh, am I afraid of black cats? Uh, the 13th floor, you know, all that sort of nonsense. No, not at all. <laughs> now, being neurodivergent with a, a, a heavy um, predilection for pattern recognition, I, I tend to be one of those ADHD pattern people. Um, we know that as the spectrum of ADHD, the more we learn about it, myself personally, and of course, society itself um thank you that's that's one of the benefits i think of tiktok is it's it's definitely um put a lot of us on the adhd spectrum and, and and through the help of the algorithm with targeted ads have have forced us all to seek help in this area I'm like wow i guess i am i do have adhd but um the spectrum of course is we have people that are um Part of their super superpower as a neurodivergent person is pattern recognition, which oftentimes comes off as uh, a bit conspiratorial until it's proven <laughs> to be actually true. And so the, the pattern recognition aspect of, of neurodivergency um, will basically allow us to look at a maybe even another spectrum of, of things that are happening or occurring. It's great for studying, of course, uh, or investigative journalism or investigation normally into any sort of thing or even the scientific process itself. Pattern recognition, probably useful in coding, I would assume, uh, or at least um, maintaining code uh, if there is some sort of corruption or problem itself. Pattern recognition uh, as an ADHD person allows me to look at a large series of events or occurrences or things or language, whatever it may be, whatever we onboard. And then through that process of pattern recognition, begin to make connections, um, which oftentimes leads to uh, causality. And so even for myself, for years, uh, you know, as an instructor, I, I usually teach through connection. A lot of that has to do with the, uh, uh, my tribute, of course, to uh, the classic uh, public broadcasting show that used to be produced by the BBC called Connections. And they did uh, one series, and I think they did a later one uh, after that, which was amazing because it looked at the patterns of things in history or even objects that we might take for granted that are in front of us, and then sort of go back and reverse engineer the events, occurrences, and connections and patterns that allowed that thing to come into existence. And so oftentimes, even we look at something that's disruptive in technology, it doesn't suddenly appear like the Big Bang, okay? <laughs> it, it, it is a progression. It, I mean, there's, there's a way to go backwards from that point of it <clears throat> engaging us in the moment now because it didn't just materialize interdimensionally, <laughs> which is cool when it happens, um, but it doesn't happen normally in that case. You know, what, what led up to that point? And think about all the other people connected to that. And so then you start getting into things like uh, statistics, um, looking at data scrapes, and now, again, we're at the point 
where we have access to the technology to look at data in in wide swaths. I mean, this is this is the whole game now, isn't it? Pretty much is is collecting and harvesting our data, and then putting some sort of analytical tools to it to again look for that pattern recognition, make a conclusion about us as an individual. In this case, being targeted for consumption, and so as a, a consumer in this system, with that pattern recognition based on the ability to uh, look at all of that data, and of course this is done through algorithms and, and artificial intelligence, not a neurodivergent person, but uh, that does happen sometimes in um, critical cases, uh, critical investigations, science, sometimes uh, someone will bring in a breakthrough because they are neurodivergent and, and they look at all the data, they look at all the patterns and are able to process one more that's even beyond what the algorithm can do sometimes. This is how we know that AI hasn't hasn't fully become um, aware or conscious um, on a wide scale. I'm suspecting that probably there are already isolated cases of AI algorithms that are experiencing some sort of sentience. And again, this is this is my pattern recognition based on things that have been communicated to us in the public from um, people that are concerned about it. Of course, Elon Tusk. Elon Tusk is always worried about a rogue AI. Well, I, I would suspect that's projection. Somewhere probably in the bowels of, of their operation, they have, they have played around with this, and they've probably scared the shit out of themselves more than once and probably had to report it to the big boss since he was writing the check. And so he's aware of it. He understands it. And that's why he's talking about it, along with some other people. Now, does that make us suspicious? <laughs> Superstition? Superstitious about all this idea? Uh, it is a bit sus now, isn't it? And so it would be very natural for me to say that it's, it's probably already happening uh, based on that and, and other things as well. If we look at other things that are happening, if you read or follow Wired magazine and a couple of the other uh, long-term sort of tech outlet informers, you can see a range of pattern that way. <clears throat> so if we have something that is suspect and um, we turn that into a, sort of a result of a superstition, and what I mean by that is there was probably things that have happened within our social structure, within our, within our society or culture, in different places around the world. Oftentimes when we are um, suspect or suspicious of something that we don't understand or fully compromise or it sort of um, doesn't fit in with our schema or coordinates and it allows us to sort of be removed from it or weary of it so we're afraid of it and so we might develop superstitions around that experience or thing or object whatever it is <clears throat> and that may echo um, through generations and so i would su suggest that some of the superstitions that we have now became out of something that was very uh sus or sus <laughs> suspicious in the past.
I mean, something like a black cat, right? I mean, we, obviously, we could open up the internet here and look at Wikipedia and get behind the, the, the so-called superstition of the black cat, which probably is carried all the way back to, I would say, um, medieval Europe uh, in, its, in its history. So how do we go from being sort of sus or suspicious of a black cat and turning it into superstition about a black cat? Well, they're interconnected. They're interconnected through the concept of, of what humans often do when they cannot reach a logical conclusion based on facts or shared or common reality. And so we sort of bend it a little bit. We sort of hack it. We sort of come up with <clears throat> a take on these things that reflect who we are as people, uh, as a social system or a culture, and oftentimes the, the setting, uh, the, the period of history or time is reflective of that. And so it, it literally becomes an entity upon itself that trickles down through generational or cultural lineages, and sometimes the original meaning the original suspicion, in this case, <clears throat> the original intuitive feeling about this thing that we are uncertain about, that sort of fades away because the origin or the uh, originators are gone, and we don't really know what the connection was for them completely. We, we just have some generalities. And so as it passes down uh, generationally, <clears throat> it may also morph and turn into some other things. All right, I'm going to take a pause here just to uh, get a little bit too gobby and snotty. Obviously, I didn't use my red light therapy. I took it downstairs to the sesh, and, and I was using it down there because sometimes um, I'll get a little stuffy from inviting the sacred smoke of <laughs> that ritual. Um, so I need to bring it back upstairs here so I can, I can hit it in the morning and, and kind of clear myself out. It is, it is allergy season, um, and I would say that some of the, uh, some of the, the food that I, that even though I, I'm pretty specific about what I eat, there's still some things that, that seem to trigger uh, the rhinitis, the, the, the allergic reaction. So obviously I've got some types of food allergies. Um, a lot of it seems to, to be reactive to things like... Um, or maybe processed food, uh, certain types of, of uh, dairy, which is terrible because, you know, I, lo I love milk, I love cheese, I love butter. Um, that doesn't really usually cause a problem. But if it's in something else, and so if it's like some kind of a prefab, pre-made, you know, Alfredo or some nonsense like that, which which this is the reason why I don't eat this kind of stuff because it, it, it turns me into a, a uh, big stuffy booger head case um, coffee sort of person. Um, and I don't mean coffee as in Americano. I mean as in soul coffee. <laughs> so it's it's a bit frustrating, which is odd because uh, all those years in Asia, I didn't suffer so much from um, sinus problems related to food allergies, but obviously to pollution uh, when I lived in China. But it would clear up um, pretty easily if I went down to uh, Thailand, especially in Copenhagen, because the air quality is pretty good. Um, heat and uh, weather also is effective. Anyway, coming back to the to the idea of, of, of what is something that is 
suspect related to superstition, which again, as I'm, I'm bridging, that comes out of our intuition. And so not only are they sort of linked um, in the semantics of the, of the word formation of the, of the language and the entomology of the word, because that's what we do, we sort of categorize these things this way. I'm trying to link the fact that they are also sort of interconnected in the sense that, that one oftentimes uh, is a precursor to another. And that when we develop superstitions, we sometimes um, take it for granted and we just sort of go through the ritual without even thinking about it. You know, spill salt, toss salt over your shoulder. Um, you know, oh, shit, you broke a mirror. Seven years, bad luck. At this case, I've, I've got probably over 35 mirrors uh, hanging here in the house uh, as, as portals, which, of course, you know, scares the shit out of some witches because uh, they do perceive them as being portals. Um, and I've oftentimes have, have mentioned this to, to other people who are superstitious or sus uh, about a lot of mirrors, especially since some of these mirrors have have kind of a unique history behind them where they came from uh, the different households that they were recovered from or um, sort of passed out or passed off from because of the fact that they've had some sort of paranormal experience whether that's true or not i i, I can't make that debate for that person if they perceive it to be true then, then it is for them i have not seen any evidence of that aside from the fact that the more of these mirrors that I put up in the house, the, the, the more fun and sort of trickery and fuckery that happens with uh, lights coming through the window or from the television or the computer. Um, I think I need to get a laser pen, and I think I would like to set up a, a mirror sort of purposely doing a, a laser shot kind of like in real genius, right? I, I do it in the bathroom sometimes with the um, the lights and the mirrors that we have in there. And so essentially, if, if the overhead is on here in the, uh, the blue room, then uh, I can position uh, the mirrors in a way, because obviously I've got a couple of the pull-out ones um, you know, in the bathroom. I can angle it and, and sort of catch the light bouncing off all of the mirrors and i thought well i need a laser pointer to make it much more accurate and so that would be kind of funny to be maybe even downstairs and actually uh, bounce a laser all the way up uh to here i think it might have to be pretty strong i'm not sure if a pen laser would do it but we'll see we'll have fun with it again um i've got a very unique pair of uh, square mirrors um that have a little bit of, of sus history and I put those face-to-face -face in a liminal space, a liminal space, let me make that clear, in the doorway between uh, the blue room and the, um, I don't know what we call that. I guess it's the hallway that leads downstairs, the bathroom, the bedroom. Is it a, a type of foyer? Oh, does that have to be in the front? Anyway, I'm not sure what they call it. But it's, it's one of those <clears throat> funky little spaces in a house where all the doors meet up. And so it's a type of liminal space itself, now that I think about it. Hmm, interesting. I should do the whole thing in mirrors, he says. Hmm. Anyway, putting, putting these two guys facing each other and giving that sort of eternal reflection uh, at, at eye level, and occasionally when you walk through there, um, it is somewhat transformative. 
uh, if you pay attention to it. I think most liminal spaces are anyway. Uh, if, if we sort of question the construct of how we're perceiving these things around us, then we'd have to suggest that uh, transitions between them might be a place to find a gap or an edge or a wedge to sort of crack um, the code in those areas. And that's another reason why liminal spaces, I think, um, as a concept, when it was introduced to me, was extremely appealing because it's, it's not necessarily a dead space, but it's an in-between space. And the in-between, whether it's in reality or the in-between in time or the in-between between us, that's where we dance. We are those who are neurodivergent, who have high pattern recognition, that understand the benefits of a liminal space as a transition point. As something as simple as walking in from one room to another room. And as soon as you cross over that doorway, oftentimes you may forget why you went to the other room. Why is that? Is it because your memory is fading? Or is it because the setting for your, for your character, for your NPC role in this, in this game, the simulation, uh, has to do something else now? So obviously when we change the setting around us, we sort of change ourselves so slightly is an adjustment. It's another reason why building a sacred space for yourself, if you have control of, of your room or your home or your environment, is paramount. It's, it's, it's necessary to really sort of build that environment to empower you, to motivate you, to, to lift you up out of superstition, to lift you out of what we consider to be sus or, super, uh, or suspicious but instead magnify and amplify your intuition, that intuitive part of you that will allow you to reach beyond what you see and what you hear and even sort of what you think. Um, if you can strengthen your intuition to the point where it is like Spidey Sense, it's an amazing talent to have. It cuts down on a lot of bullshit, especially when you begin to trust your intuition over superstition and when you find something that is sus or you're suspicious about your intuition your spidey sense will tell you whether or not to proceed or to run the fuck away <laughs> or maybe just walk away in this case so in your sacred space um, color for me is important along again with sort of the key items here um, things like mirrors certain types of clocks, uh, other uh, occult-like artwork, figurines, you know, however you want to do it is fine. There is, there is no codified structure here. I mean, the, probably the, the best advice I'd give is uh, doing a little research into feng shui. At least that way you have uh, some sort of ley lines or some sort of uh, guidance to how to set this up for yourself. For me, in this concept, was to make sure each room was sort of in a different color and sort of had a different theme of things. Um, so when you cross over between rooms, that thought that you had in your head that sometimes is 
blanked or covered up or dropped by crossing over a liminal space, going into sort of one programmed environment into another programmed environment. I find that if, if, I, if I make them very different and very unique, that I'm not often blanked out. I'm able to maintain my intuition, maintain my idea, maintain my thought. Um, because again, I, I've created this spaces, so maybe it works together um, as, a, as, a, as a complete unit because of the fact that I've, I've purposely designed it that way. Now that I think about it out loud, so that, that could be one of the reasons. The other aspect is that it helps you not to take things for granted because of the differences. It allows a little bit of variety. Again, if you're neurodivergent and you get bored very quickly, having those sort of different elements in your house, if you can do it, is a great way to sort of help you stay connected to that environment because it is different in every room. How fun is that? Yes, some prevailing themes can carry over in your design or whatever else. It's, it's your space. You can do whatever the fuck you want with it as long as it's you that's doing it, that you are purposely trying to manifest some sort of um, fortress of isolation, uh, sacred space in the sense that you feel empowered by the, the things around you. It's not taking away from you. Very different than like maybe growing up in your in your family household or for some of us that went into foster care where you're sort of thrust into an environment and uh, it's absolutely foreign along with the people that are sort of in control with it. And you know, that definitely becomes very sus and leads to certain types of superstitions because it is is a denial of your intuition. Um, we also know that a lot of people that come out of trauma that grow up with uh, narcissistic abuse or uh, substance abuse with their parents or family units, foster homes, whatever it may be, we get really good at thin slicing. Um, that's a term that was coined, uh, I believe, by Malcolm Gladwell. Maybe in Outliers. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that one, but I know it does come from Malcolm Gladwell. Um, is when it was introduced to me. This idea of thin slicing is, especially if you have a parent uh, or a parental figure that is um, having sort of issues with substance, with alcohol, drugs, or some other things. Maybe it is generational trauma that has just not been healed and it just keeps going on. They were abused and their grandparents abused them and their great-grandparents abused them. And so it just keeps going on. There's no break in the process. They're just automatically going through what they learned, and the only thing is different, of course, is the time frame around them. Thin slicing us as children, who obviously bear the brunt of this burden, because we don't have the the tools or the physicality to stand up for ourselves or to um, even maybe escape the situation. We're we're sort of trapped and dependent on it. So thin slicing allows us to immediately size up that parent and understand, and it doesn't always work, of course, but it allows us some sort of survival skill. That when you're dealing with that, that person um, who is the abuser or the, um, the tormentor or whatever it may be, the bully, is that, <clears throat> just a moment, it is a case of, of being able to walk in a room and determine sort of which person am I dealing with here? 
am I dealing with, you know, uh, a, a super bully abuser or is this the day that they're sort of pleasant and nice? And also that should be considered sus, especially if it's narcissistic abuse, because obviously they're, they're throwing some manipulation, but you don't understand that at the time. So, you know, you thin slice. Is it going to be a good day or bad day with this person? And, and that carries with you. It's definitely carried with me. Uh, I'm very quick to thin slice uh, people when I meet them. Again, a lot of it has to do with my intuition and my level of suspicion. And, of course, the context, which is somewhat based on superstition. You know, the idea of fate or kismet or fortune in this case. Oh, it's very nice that we sort of just ended up here together on this transcontinental flight. Let's have a conversation and find out, you know, that there's some other commonalities and, and you end up becoming friends, that kind of situation in the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, um, you can thin slice and, and abuses and trauma on children is so, so fucking amazing, not in a good way, but it's just, wow. The fact that you can corrupt a human mind to the point of, of denying their own intuition, that own little voice in them that says, no, this person is toxic, they're very bad, don't get involved with them, too. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you talk themselves out of it. It's, it's why even people that got their shit together sometimes have terrible relationships because they are sort of going into it with, you know, eyes kind of half open. Uh, they convince themselves, even though the spidey sense, the intuition, everything else, the bells are ringing that this person is probably not good for you, uh, whether it is a case of hormones or lust or, or some sort of really twisted, deep sense of self-sabotage where you know that this isn't the right person, but you're going to get with them anyway uh, to meet some, some sort of maybe physical needs or emotional needs to a certain point, and then you run the risk of course, of, of what the blowback is going to be. Kind of like bull riding, right? When you pick your bull and you get in the chute and, you know, you got that moment where you're trying to get your hand in the harness and all that other shit before they fucking ask you to, to fucking blast the gate and then you go for a ride and try to hold on for about eight seconds. And then you end up in the fucking dirt and uh, if you're not careful, you get your shit stomped. Um... <laughs> Okay, macho, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Been there, done that as well. There's pretty much not not a lot that I have, have left off my plate. Um, you know, have a try. Why not? Take a chance. Your mama did. Anyhow, what I'm trying to relate here is that if we deny our intuition and our, our ability to thin slice people when we get involved with them, we meet them, we, I mean, we should trust that. You should trust those feelings, to be honest with you. If, if, if you believe that you are at a point where you can trust your intuition, you may be not at that point. You may have still a lot of, of self-work and shadow work and all the other shit that you need to do to sort of tune it up so that you don't, don't hoodwink yourself. If you are willing to take complete responsibility for the world around you as you are perceiving it, because in some ways you are projecting yourself upon it, 
then you have to be willing to, to take the hits when things fuck up because ultimately that's back on you now, isn't it? Or the self, I should say. It's a challenge. It's difficult um, to keep those coordinates for yourself throughout your lifetime because they also shift and change. But if you, again, are the type of person who enjoys pattern recognition, if you look at some patterns of, of someone who's very superstitious, it's pretty easy to, to come up with the other sort of connecting, coordinating, or mitigating factors that have brought them into this. Whether it is transgenerational, whether it is social or cultural, it's pretty easy to figure it out if you, if you look at the pattern. There are other types of um, superpowers <laughs> for neurodivergent people. Um, uh, pattern recognition is a big one for some. Um, auditory recognition is also uh, one for other people. And so they really learn better through listening, and they can pick up a lot of um, auditory uh, patterns sometimes where they can, for example, a lot of neurodivergent people never forget a voice, believe it or not. And as soon as, the, as soon as they connect that voice to the file of who that person is in their mind, they don't have to see the person. They can hear it and say, well, that's so-and-so. A lot of times uh, people discover this when they're you know, watching cartoons or something else animated and then they hear a voice actor. And they're like, whoa, that's so-and-so. Uh, obviously, some voice actors are very distinctive in their voice, and that's an easy that's low-hanging fruit to pick on. On the other hand, a lot of neurodivergent people have sometimes difficulty being entertained in the beginning because they will get derailed by pattern recognition or auditory recognition when they say, oh, that actor, I hear them, they were in this, da-da-da, and they sort of go down that rabbit hole and maybe lose uh, those moments either with the, their partner that they're watching the, the show with or even what's going on in the show, and sometimes they have to reverse and, and go over it again because they went too far off the reservation with this random shiny squirrely idea <laughs> that was triggered into the pattern or auditory recognition. We also have visual recognition. Now, again, put this down uh, as a spectrum in the sense it's like a Venn diagram. You can overlay all three of these because you can be neurodivergent and have elements of all three, two, or one per se. Some uh, more so than others, but generally speaking, I think you're probably going to have a bit of a a toe dip in all three, uh, just because of the way that the human mind works and also uh, based on my own sort of experience. So if, if you also suffer, or I shouldn't say suffer, if you also have been diagnosed or suspect that you might have uh, ADHD or specifically in our cases, adult ADHD, the extra A in there, of course, which makes you neurodivergent, um, I'd love to hear from you on this idea of pattern recognition. I'm always very curious about other people who are neurodivergent and how they are navigating the world. Some people are doing it through pharmacology uh, because they've been diagnosed and they've been put on uh, medication, uh, things like stimulants or even uh, different types of SSRIs. Um, you know, so it's like, okay, here's our solution. We're going to uh, give you some stimulation in the form of a amphetamine. And then uh, when things get kind of weird and edgy because of the amphetamine, we're going to give you some Prozac to sort of take the edge off. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound like the best situation. Uh, 
that's sustainable for the long term, right? Because of side effects, uh, things like that, tolerance issues, whatever else. So it may be only part of maybe the healing journey or at least the mitigating journey that, that keeps you <laughs> out of prison or jail or whatever it may be. It's hard to say. Um, depending, again, on, on context and situation, obviously I lived in Asia for 15 years and didn't have any medication or access to the resources for um, my situation. Because of my status there as a foreigner and the reputation that I built for myself, it was pretty easy to just uh, build a life sort of around my um, pluses and minuses because I had more control and more more access to resources to do it and also uh, less working, you know, uh, for the majority of the time. I mean, I, I probably did overwork uh, sometimes. You know, when the, when the when the sun is shining, make hay, right? Because it kind of is an up and down um, situation with um, money, and so it's essentially the more you work, of course, the more money you get. The less you work, the less money you get. It's pretty pretty easy equation in this case. Even still, um, over the years, being sort of specialized in what I do, then I could even work less because of that, because I get more money for what it is that I do. It's kind of a, a unique situation, right? It's, it's sort of the same thing of people that are very rich and famous actually don't really have to spend a lot of money, especially if they go out or, you know, people just like to be around them. So they, they always want to sort of entertain them. Uh, granted, it also comes with a lot of people that are, that are sus, that are, trying to put their hands in your pocket or get their, their flex by being close to you because you're famous, that kind of stuff. Okay, whatever. Um, having the ability to design your life and your world to suit you um, and your super superpowers of being neurodivergent is super beneficial because it's much more empowering and gives you confidence and you don't feel that you are damaged. You don't feel that you are sus, but the, the world that we live in is, which is a lot easier uh, for me to onboard in those situations. Now, people say, well, you're, 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 you're displacing your blame. You're not facing your reality or your problem. Well, I think it's all in flux. This would be the same thing as the argument that's being made now uh, in the current situation of the war on women. I've been trying to avoid this topic, um, to be honest with you, because one, I don't have a vagina or a uterus, and I can't uh, hold a baby for nine months, and I'm not going to raise a child for the rest of its life, etc. Uh, my contribution is sperm donation. Yet... I believe it is a woman's right to choose what she does with her body. If she says yes, then it's yes. If she says no, then it's no. It's no different than my body if I agree or disagree. I have autonomy. I have control. They deserve that too. And there's no, no fucking situation or circumstance that you can present to me that will justify forcing a woman 
to have a child. Well, what about the Bible? The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Okay. That's your sheep herder's guide to the galaxy from the Iron Age. If that's how you want to live your life, okay. Same thing. If you want to put on a cock ring, I don't have a problem with that. I just don't need you to whip it out in public. Iggy Pop. <laughs> it's an old story about Iggy Pop and, and Ginger from Gilligan Island. Apparently, he, he pulled it out in, in the bar one time and he had a cock ring on it. Uh, that's the problem with pattern recognition is that anytime I open up the file on cock ring or it always goes to Iggy Pop and uh, Ginger from <laughs> Gilligan's Island in the situation. And so it's, it's, oh, look, something shiny. Uh, literally, I think it was, might've been silver in this case. And, um, you know, Iggy's, Iggy's no, uh, is, is not known for his, his lack of endowment, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. Nothing like having true BDE. Uh, takes one to know one, right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. All right. So, coming, trying to come back to the to the, the thread here of uh, people in thin slicing and superstition and things that are uh, suspect in intuition and the bridge between them and the fact that sometimes people will try to uh, codify your own reality with you know their belief system. And yes, I'm picking on the Bible, but it could be any other sort of dogmatic idea. I get it. I understand why people do it, because having a soul is hard. Being, being a soul in this situation of having a physical body in this type of world to, to grant experience is difficult. And I think for a lot of people because of cultural programming through the state of religion, which obviously promoted, you know, Western expansionism uh, throughout Europe and, of course, into the New World, as they say, is um, part of our part of our situation that we've yet to sort of shake out because people have dug in deeply uh, on these concepts or ideas because it helps them to, to get through their lives. And so I can't, I can't deny that experience for those people that, that are, are Christians or Muslims or whatever it may be, where they are looking for some sort of sustenance for their soul and for the, the sort of life that they have and, and, and the hopes that, that there is some sort of glory in the afterlife. Okay. Um. I can only play that game for so long. And, and I've tried it. I've tried many different versions of it. I've, I've looked at many different types of religion. I studied world religion in the university. I've participated in many different sort of churches and even some cults uh, to understand sort of where it is they're coming from. Applying my sort of pattern recognition, applying my intuition, applying my sort of suspicion, or am I superstitious in their ritual in this case? And, and can you take that on as a valiance to be the guide for your life? For myself, no, I cannot. I can't. It's, it's too structured. 
in the sense that there's a lot of things in there that are overlaid or codified in a way that is not moving with the times. Hence, hence the, the analogy here of being the Iron Age Sheep Herder's Guide to the Galaxy, because, I mean, it, it definitely has a lot of uh, historical and, I would say, locational um, pieces to it that we have managed to sort of supplant and convert and try to adopt to a modern age, um, the same way that, that we're having the arguments over the, the Constitution currently in the, the recent leaked statement uh, from the uh, SCOTUS about Roe versus Wade and, and um, the argument being that it's not protected by the Constitution. Well, I would suggest that we, we need to look at that as, as a living document, hence the amendments, of course. And, uh, you know, the SCOTUS's job is there is a certain amount of, of interpretation that has to be put on that. And now that because we let <laughs> we let a uh, fucking third rate D-list actor from the Celebrity Apprentice Apprentice pack the Supreme Court with, you know, three fucking zealots, at least, possibly four. Um, who, who would think that wasn't a good idea, right? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel agrees, of course. And, and so do I. It's obviously not functioning. There's, there's some problems at that level. Well, I mean, we already can say it's corrupt. We know the Senate is corrupt. Ha Congress, half of it's bought and paid for by special interest and lobbyists. Um, if we think about a lot of the problems that we're having as a nation, you know, it's fucking rotten at the core. Until we get some, some straight shooters up there. And no, I don't mean bobblehead. Let's go, Bulbert. <laughs> Speaking of shooters. I'm talking about people that, that are willing to sort of do the right thing by other people. I mean, it's why we love uh, Katie Porter so much, right? She gets at her whiteboard there, and she fucking... She takes these people who are detached from fucking day-to-day -day working reality. You know, these bankers and uh, pharmaceutical companies, whatever else, they just have no concept of, of the policies that they are doing to generate profit for shareholders, how that affects real people. And she's pretty good at, at fucking putting them on the spot. And, and that's definitely the kind of leadership that I want to see in a representative. Granted, she's not my representative, but I support her moxie to look at these uh, situations as a single mother, as she always says. And, you know, I understand it's part theatrics, but it has value in the sense that it calls attention to the situation from these special interest groups that have managed to profit off of our labor and misery and consumptional situation. And again, if, if you put everything on a, on, a, on a profit base, the same way that private enterprise or Republicans or capitalists or free marketists desire, it's all fucking fine and dandy until it goes tits up and then they're looking for a bailout or handout from the taxpayers that... Uh, had said, you know, this is probably not a good idea. You probably shouldn't do that. You probably should have a monopoly. There probably shouldn't be four fucking companies that provide baby formula for the United States. 
right? You love the fucking free market, then it should be all kinds of other players. But then you need more regulation for quality control, you see? We've done this to ourselves <laughs> by being asleep at the wheel. And again, those people that, that want to be in power or want to have some kind of authority are usually the less, the least suited for it because of ego or personal personal agendas and so forth. I mean, that's, that's part of the human condition. I can accept that aspect of it. But if you are there elected by the people to serve the people, then the decisions you need to make are for the people. But that's not happening. It hasn't happened in quite a while. And I don't think there's much that we can do about it at this point. I hate to say that, but that's where we're at. And so we have to depend on ourselves. We have to figure out how can we navigate this system if we're here. And, you know, people say, well, if you don't like it, leave. Well, I did. <laughs> you fuckers brought me back. <laughs> I was willing to stay on the island of Copenhagen in uh, summer of 2020. Uh, even if the entire logistics train broke down, I know that it could survive on that island from fucking coconuts and eating tourists, maybe. Alex Jones. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I did not trust my intuition. And so here we are. But that, again, is part of it, right? <laughs> Whatever the timeline or whatever the situation may be, it was supposed to happen this way. I'm supposed to be here right now in this moment at 49.54 talking to you, i.e. talking to myself. <laughs> I guess I could just go back, right? I suppose so. And what? Leave all of this behind? It's a, it's a conundrum. It really is. I'm, I'm, a, I'm really torn, to be honest with you. I, I like I like the space that we've created for myself, and, and of course, it's it's developing. It's ongoing. It still has potential for, for more fun, but that's a long haul, right? That's another year, at least, of, of being here. And it's tempting this time of year because the Pacific Northwest along about, you know, May, June, July, into August. It's bloody amazing. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, a little bit of rain now and then, but, you know, beautiful blue skies, nice temperature. We might get a couple of uh, sweltering days like we did last year. Uh, we had that, whatever it was, the, uh, the, not a heat wave. They had another name for it, but... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, those weather conditions will continue to get extreme. The frustration and conversation that I've had the last few days with my significant other in our situation where it's still, it's still tentative on a lot of things. And I, I'm, I don't know really what to do with it. So I need to, I need to get to the center of my intuition on this issue but i'm conflicted i really am i i am i am torn between damned if i do and damned if i don't and i think that's 
probably the crux of the burden that I have to deal with in this moment or series of moments until I drop the hammer on a decision. This is comfortable. Even Bruce Lee said, be like water, right? All right. Well, the water is in the pool here being comfortable. If I change my flow, then, you know, water's got to run downhill. And it'll erode and tear away a few things along its path until it crashes into its next situation and gets comfortable again. I don't know. As I look at the pile of paperwork on my desk here to the right, um, it could be possible, I suppose. I just haven't made that decision yet. I want to. I really do. And, And that also could be the crosswire from being neurodivergent. The executive function on making a decision like this, it could be difficult. The good thing is I've got an appointment tomorrow. (laughs) But it'll be just for for meds. So behavioral doesn't come up until the end of the month. And by that time, I will probably have have made the decision for myself. Ultimately, that's, that's the best way to roll the dice, right? Do you want to be the shooter or do you want to bet on the shooter? You know, coming out hot. I tend to bet on the shooter because it's an easier way to recognize the pattern. Um, If I'm throwing the dice, then I'm pretty conservative because I just want to, you know, hit the pass line in this case. I want to hit my number, which I've done. I mean, I've I've done good and and craps in the past. I don't don't gamble, sort of as a as a profession or as a hobby. To me, it's just another random act of fortuna or magic and so i just use my intuition i set aside a x amount of money when i go to a casino and that's it and sometimes uh, i leave with that money still in my pocket plus some of the casino's money in the other pocket and occasionally i just leave with that money that i had and sometimes i don't leave with it at all but it's pretty rare I usually come out ahead because it's so random. And I know that the longer you play uh, the house, uh, that the games are designed to bring that winning algorithm back down from a peak, a heater, uh, back down again because of the odds. It's a good metaphor for life, right? (laughs) Got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them in this case. So that's your, your Friday 13th Palava. Uh, a couple of things to, to put in the pot. Let it simmer. You're, you're welcome to do with it what you want. I will tell you this, that uh, I had a great time uh, talking to uh, Tony Naj uh, the other day. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the interview, I would recommend it. If, if anything, just to get sort of a sample of this uh, very sort of unique and special creator, which is kind of the focus of what I want to do when I talk to people. And so uh, obviously I have asked uh, some people that I thought were really unique, very different, have accomplished something. So there's, there's something about them that I admire. 
and I admire it so much that I want to share it. I want to hype it. I want people also to follow them or to check them out if they're making something or doing something because it has value. It has value to me. And, and so obviously if you're here with me, I'm going to make the assumption that it will have value to you. So we've got a, a couple more interviews coming up. Uh, we'll be talking to a longtime, believe it or not, childhood friend and uh, creator and musician supreme. This guy has been one of the, the most talented musical people that I've known geez, for at least, I don't know, 40 years maybe. Uh, we used to play with action figures. That gives you an idea of, of our how long we've known each other, but when you're nerds, that's not really saying much, right? <laughs> I think we still play with action figures uh, up into high school, but we'll see. We'll find out tomorrow. He will he will validate uh, some of the stories that I've been holding on to uh, in our relationship, but also I really want to talk about uh, Juan's uh, efforts in recording his recording studio's production and, of course, his contribution as a Native American flautist uh, to the culture along with... Um, his uh, band Jupiter Groove and the fact that he uh, plays uh, a bass stick, which is extremely um, complicated and unique um, instrument. So it'll be great to catch up with him, find out uh, again, some of the, the legends, if they're true, and then uh, the gap between us, because obviously I haven't seen each other in a long time. And then what, what he's got going on. And so it'll actually be a longer interview because of the fact that we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'll be talking, speaking of Native Americans or indigenous population, uh, we will be talking to uh, Lou from uh, down south there who has uh, muscle nerds. And Lou has, has transformed his body over a period of time uh, between being sort of the soft, doughy dad body to being chiseled like straight out of fight club and uh he's a cool guy and we've we've had a lot of conversations online over the years and i we know some of the same people and so it'll be good to to reach out to lou and, and find out what's going on with himself his training his uh, stacks and of course uh muscle nerds itself and and some of the amazing uh things that they put together they don't have a big line but they've got some some specific things that are pretty effective uh for people that like them so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, right down the street there's a lovely couple uh, that have opened up uh, a bookstore and uh, they've recently moved and they've been a strong proponent of course of like first friday poetry readings are when you have when you have people like this in your community it's important to support them because they're making things happen in their bookstore or their art gallery or their coffee shop uh, maybe their their little sandwich shop you know it's the mom and pop action we, we, we definitely have to hype those businesses or those uh, endeavors they're important for your community yes i know that some of you like starbucks but it's the same as going to fucking mcdonald's right it's not going to change the same shit it's consumer crap it's it's exploits labor it exploits resources it's a it's a it's shit in a fancy box. <laughs> Find those people that really care about what they're doing in your neighborhood, in your community where you live. People that want to roast their own beans to make coffee. 
hopefully they do it good in a good way. Normally they, they do a pretty good job, but yes, it's some people are learning. It's kind of like the microbrew uh, gold rush where everybody decided they wanted to brew beer. Okay, that's fine. I appreciate the effort, and maybe you're entertaining your, your, yourself and your friends. But I've had a lot of these, and I thought, well, this is not very good. Um, but that's my opinion. But I understand why people do it. And it's funny because a lot of times the people that, that are willing to take action and to do something may produce sort of less than optimal uh, results. But you can't totally fault them because they materialized it. And so, yeah, it might not be the way that you want it. Then you need to do it. <laughs> if you don't like it, then you got to do it yourself, right? So I can't be overly critical about that aspect. I, I still give them, you know, a nod for an E for effort in this case. And so maybe the process will improve. Anyway, um, a Birdhouse Books is, is an amazing resource of uh Vintage books, collected books, uh, used books, new books. They support the art community. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to catch up with them since they, since they moved. Uh, I do uh, support them as much as I can and tell people about them, uh, promote them, and so on. So it'll be great to, to hear from the horse's mouth about uh, their contributions to this community and where they uh, proceed to go with it. We'll hear from J.D. Pincus, believe it or not, who's just finished, goddamn, a huge road tour in an old pickup truck and his banjo and all his pedals and so forth. And, and he was opening up for another outfit. And they went from, like, basically downhill from Spokane, Washington, <laughs> all the way down, you know, playing little places along the way. Uh and, you know, including Salem, Oregon, you know, the, the usual stops, right? Grants Pass, you know, the, the corridor stops. We didn't get them here in Vancouver. It was, we didn't plan it in time, but uh, maybe in the future that would be awesome, I think, uh, if I'm still here to have uh, some of those uh, influences come and change our heads, man. And if you haven't listened to uh, Fungus Shui, the last album on Shimmy Disc from uh, J.D. Pincus, I'd say, put it in ear holes. Uh, this guy's got a, such a great back catalog. I mean, his experience, of course, put him on the map as the butthole surfers thing, but things like Daddy Longhead, uh, Honky, that's how we came to meet. And so it'll be great to catch up with Pincus uh, and unpack sort of what happened on this tour and, and, and what's going to happen next. Definitely, this this he's just a cool dude, and so it'll be great to to hear him in that drawl that he's got. Uh, tell us what's what. So we've got some guests coming up this next week. Um, we've got a, a few more uh, interviews lined up as well, and so that's that's the direction we're moving to. And so, again, thanks to uh, Tony Naj for uh, cracking things open for us, and uh, hopefully we'll get a, a chance to talk to her again in the future. Because it's one of those situations where you just don't have enough time and you've got 10,000 questions. Uh, and so if you, if you like to hang out, uh, notice that it's, it's very light as far as discussion. I'm more about listening and hearing from the people that I'm talking to so that you can listen and hear and, and make a decision for yourself. So uh, you think about things afterwards. And, and if you have questions for these upcoming guests, make sure you DM me. I appreciate it. 
Otherwise, I will just be asking them sort of the things that are of interest to me. <laughs> All right. Shout out, to, of course, to White Bat Audio for their royalty-free music in the background. Uh, this is uh, one of their lovely versions of cyberpunk uh, that I can't get enough of. So thank you, whitebataudio.com. Easily to be found on YouTube. Thank you so much for uh, providing the background to keep us going. I love you. Thank you. Take care. Be good to yourself. It is Friday the 13th. Do some unlucky shit. <laughs> go for it. Just try it out. What could happen? I think maybe I'll go grab a mirror and, and maybe fucking take a hammer to it. I don't want to clean it up, so I might do it over the garbage. Let's get seven years of bad luck. Let, let's do the opposite of everything that we're supposed to do, and let's see if that makes some changes for ourselves. <laughs> All right. Keep it real. Love you guys.